This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. Hey, James. You know the difference between me and you? What's that? I make this look good. Hey, and welcome to Franchise Fatigue, a show where we talk about franchises. And today we will be talking about Men in Black. We just finished up our series on Indiana Jones uh, Trilogy Plus One. And this is going to be our next series. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. I'm, I'm recuperating from having just seen Wind River and then Sicario right oh, after. Dear. And I just feel broken and beaten as a human being. So I, I needed Men in Black to kind of lift my spirits. Why would you do that to yourself? Because uh, my brother and I have been going through films written by Taylor Sheridan. And I, they're, they're so good. You know, I can't not watch them. But every time I watch them, I just want to curl up in a ball and die. You know, humans were given like a self-preservation instinct for a reason. But that instinct wasn't made with Taylor Sheridan in mind. Yeah. He's got all of these great movies. Both of those movies like pretty much devastated me. Um, I, my, I've had a rather cra- crazy evening. Um, I had a, f- a flat tire while delivering uh, Domino's, but thankfully I've made more on that uh, that single shift than I have in uh, the two years I've been working there. So I think it'll all work out in the end. But it means I have basically uh, very, very little notes for tonight, so I'll probably be a bit scattershot. So before we move into the uh, main topic, I'd like to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes and uh, to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. All right, let's just dive into it. Um, I want to ask you, James, when did you first uh, see this film and uh, what's been your general relationship with it over the years? This was another one, kind of like The Last Crusade, where this movie is almost synonymous with growing up. Um, it was another family favorite, and I I couldn't probably count the amount of times I've seen it. Um, I was obsessed with it for a while as a kid, to the point to where I would buy the, these giant water guns and pretend they were <laughs> silver, and I'd run around shooting cockroaches and things like that. Um, <laughs> I would use, I would open up our drawers in the kitchen and find, like, corkscrews and all different kinds of things and pretend they were like a little cricket or whatever and <laughs> that was my arsenal so this was this was a really big movie for me in my childhood and uh, like i said is probably watched it multiple times every year growing up with the whole family so i've got a lot of fond memories with it yeah i i did not i did not see this growing up and i don't i don't think i saw it until after three had come out and I, th- I think I watched them all in kind of a short succession. And first time I saw this, I really wasn't terribly impressed with it. Um, I think I liked Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, but basically didn't care for much else. Um, and I I had not seen it since then. We we're actually going to talk about Men in Black 3 Actually, no, I have seen it since then. We were going to talk about Men in Black 3 on Underrated, but when we decided to do Franchise Fatigue, we postponed it till now. So I had seen it a second time. And it, I still hadn't... Didn't really warm up to it. I think this last, this third viewing was probably my most positive. I still I still don't think I love it, but I, I'm pretty comfortable saying I, I, do in, I do like it. Well, I'll, make, I'll love it even extra. Awesome. Before we dive into the main review, let's... T- uh, I want to talk about some of the behind-the-scenes stories. Um, so in 1990, writer Lowell Cunningham and artist Sandy uh, Carothers put out the comic called The Men in Black through Aerosol Comics. And uh, in, in total, six issues were published between 1990 and 1991. Which was published through Marvel, I believe, right? No, a- after the film, Marvel picked it up and published uh, tie-in comics. Oh, yeah. And so in uh, 1992, husband and wife producers 
Walter Parks and Laurie McDonald purchased the rights and hired Ed Solomon to write a script. They wanted to hire Barry Sonnenfeld to direct because of uh, the Adams Family and the Adams Family values, but he was already attached to direct Get Shorty. So they approached director Les Mayfield, uh, but after they saw his remake of The Miracle on 34th Street, they decided he wasn't right for the film. They then, they then agreed to delay the film um, so Sonnenfeld could direct it after finishing Get Shorty. And it was his idea to shift the location from like the Midwest to New York City because he thought residents uh, would be more tolerant toward aliens who behaved oddly in human disguise, which <laughs> I think is, is kind of hilarious. Um, so uh, the, Clint Eastwood was, was approached to play Agent K, but he turned it down. And that, that that could have been pretty funny as well. But Timmy Lee Jones, uh, they approached Timmy Lee Jones. And he was actually initially did not want uh, to do it because he didn't like the script. But uh, Steven Spielberg, who is an executive producer on here, assured him that it would get better in rewrites. So he agreed. Uh, Chris O'Donnell uh, was approached for Agent J, but he turned it down because it was too similar or because he thought it was too similar to the role of Robin in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which I'm pretty sure he regrets. Uh, but I, I cannot blame him for wanting to distance himself from anything resembling his roles in that. Well, now he's basically distanced himself from a career. Uh, true, though. <laughs> yeah. So then they hired Will Smith uh, due to his work on The Friends, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Six Degrees of Separation. Uh, John Turturro and Bruce Campbell were both offered the role of Edgar, uh, the bug, which I would pay good money to see both of them. In this role, especially Bruce Campbell, I think that would be absolutely hysterical. However, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, who they finally uh, they, they did choose, he does give my favorite performance in this film. So I'm kind of torn. But I, man, Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I want to see a parallel universe because I don't want to lose either movie. Yeah, uh, Linda Fiorentino. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Something like that. Uh, Rip Thorne and Tony Shalhoub were cast as Laurel Weaver as Zed and Jack Jeeves, respectively. Filming began in March of 1996 in New York City. Uh, originally, the ending was going to have Agent J and the bug engaging in this kind of humorous existential debate, which actually sounds kind of funny. But Sonnenfeld wanted to have more of an action-packed ending. So they, they, they already had a... a animatronic bug built but then they had i had to have like ilm last minute devise a cgi bug so they could reshoot the entire ending uh the entire climax is basically reshot and it supposedly cost about four and a half million just for that final sequence to be reshot this is another instance of where i would love to see what could have been because the prospect of seeing will smith Debate philosophy and the existential questions of life with a giant animatronic cockroach. Again, man, that would be amazing. Yeah. For for the uh, makeup and animatronics, they hired legendary uh, special effects artist Rick Baker, who's got an incredible uh, filmography. He he was brought in for all the creature designs and aliens and whatnot. And Industrial Light and Magic did the uh, digital side of the effects. Danny Elfman composed the film score, and as part of the, the uh, film's marketing, Will Smith help, helps write and perform uh, the single Men in Black uh, for a $1 million music video, which was, uh, I guess, blasted all over the uh, TV. I guess this, was, this would have been like during the heyday of MTV and all the music oh, videos. Yeah. I, I, I watched some of it uh, while writing the notes, and it is, it is very, very 90s. You better believe I had that song memorized in its entirety. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also featured in the film's credits. Um, and uh, finally, the film was released in July of 1997. So, James, what do you think about this movie? Well, I really, really love it. Um, I love that it, like, it pretty much carved out its identity and just stuck so close to what it was and and moved so confidently with its premise. Um, I love the humor. And one of the biggest reasons I love the humor is because it's so grounded in the premise. Like a lot of these jokes couldn't work in any other film, but like the entire idea of aliens living among us and being disguised, 
it's it, it uses that and kind of like it blends that with the whole you know old grizzled cop with a young upcoming it's just it takes all these different things and it and it really makes a a really great use of its cast and so altogether i just think it's kind of impossible to not find hilarious at least for me um but yeah and i i guess i can't deny the fact that maybe nostalgia has a little bit of effect but even watching it today i i still i still really really love it yeah the the concept itself is pretty brilliant just you know this secret agency that is that's only purpose is you know to hide the fact that aliens are everywhere among us and obviously you have will smith and timely jones as a buddy cop duo at the center of it and kind of hilarity is inevitable um but the film is just it does it has a very just fun light touch to the way it goes about it it, it never never allows itself to get too serious. I mean, there are stakes, and a lot of people do die, but it still manages to maintain this very light, airy tone that that uh, I think just works so well with um with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones' chemistry as K and J, or J and J and which one? J is Tommy Lee Jones, right? <laughs> J is Will Smith. K is Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just, just with, with I think the one thing that guaranteed this film success is this this cast. Uh, first off, you have Tommy Lee Jones, who is the greatest grumpy guy that could ever be cast on film. Uh, just his unimpressed face, which is just his face. <laughs> Is just absolutely perfect for someone who is constantly dealing with the craziest and wackiest things on a daily basis and he just doesn't care anymore or he probably never cared but he cares even less now and just the way he reacts to everything in such a deadpan manner and paired with such a kind of a, a more flamboyant kind of showman like Will Smith just they, the way they go head to head is, is con is really hilarious. Yeah. What I like is with K he, to me, he doesn't feel one note. Um, he almost just seems like that, that older cop and he treats everything sur like surrounding him the way an older cop would treat it. Except instead of, you know, like giving kids speeding tickets and pulling them over for things like that, you need, there's alien pregnancies on the side of the road and it's just, it's all normal to him and his reaction to all of it is just hilarious because it he does have the the most perfect unimpressed face in the entire world but he still feels like like a human and there's a sense of history that he has with everything he does like when he goes back and he sees the baby after it's born and he like he smiles and he's like oh congratulations oh, reggie it's a, it's a squid it's a squid yeah that, that, that's what, what i love is like the, the moments and things he chooses to be happy over are just so random like the scene after he uh neuralizes will smith after the pawn shop and yeah. then he's just in, in some diner eating pie and just laughing at the most ridiculous story uh just you know having the time of his life will smith is just kind of like who are you it's just it's it's so enjoyable because um, I think it's, it's those little glimpses of you know of a, of a character that shines through his gruff exterior. I think that that make him and you know the entire duo uh, very uh, memorable. Yeah, and they they really I think develop him fairly well as the movie goes on. You know, from his his first scene and uh, with it, with his initial partner. I think there's a real sense of history between the two of them. You know, you could probably make movies based on what the two of them have seen together. And it seemed like a real amount of like, you know, sadness as he, he saw his partner or he himself essentially had to, you know, help his partner retire. And, um, we see that. And then we see him, he seems, you know, really enthusiastic about Jay at first, you know, just seeing the reflection of him in the mirror, kind of smiling, as Jay first gets with all of the other, you know, recruit, initial recruits, I guess. Um, so yeah, he seems, he, he's never just the stereotypical, 
grumpy cop. He feels like a real person, and he he laughs at things, and he's he's grumpy at other things. He just it's it's one of my personal favorite performances from Tommy Lee Jones, only because I can't help but just enjoy everything he does on screen. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that scene where he retires his uh, his older partner, and the more you think about it, just the more absolutely tragic this life is. You know, first you erase yourself from existence, then you devote your life uh, to this cause, and then once you get too old. All of that is just erased like it never happened and you're left this old person with, without a life. It's, that's, that's horrible. And I'm, but I'm glad that the movie takes that seriously. And that's why I think the characters work, uh, or at least one of the reasons, is because you, it does kind of do a good job of setting in the consequences from that scene to Will Smith asking him if it's worth it. And he says, it's worth it if you're strong enough and... And then the ending scene, you know, with Tommy Lee Jones finally <laughs> retiring himself. Uh, like you said, it, it, the movie is serious when it needs to be serious. And I think those moments really help um, endear you to the characters. Yeah, just the line, you know, see you around. No, you won't. And then uh, coming to, to Will Smith. Um, so this, so you had Bad Boys in 95, uh, uh, Independence Day in '96 and this in '97 kind of it is you know fully cemented Will Smith as you know the the this kind of the kind of comedic superstar that is that is kind of actually is in a way kind of still the norm. Uh, it's like you know the these the guy who can be you know serious and funny and just and just kind of hold the, together a film with you know. Uh, sometimes a rather dubious plot, just through kind of sheer charisma, and this is this is like this, and the, obviously the previous two films, you know, shot him into superstardom, which I think he's still kind of playing that role. Like I just watched Bright, and he's still he he was trying to play that. I don't I don't think he's nearly as big now as he was, but man, looking back at at you know, th- those these three performances, you definitely see why he became the star he did, because he's just. He is such a natural showman, and it's like you know he's not afraid to kind of make a fool of himself, but he still carries himself around with this total inner confidence. And even if he's like completely bumbling his way through any situation, he's always kind of you know pretending he knows what he's doing and kind of fake it, faking it, faking it till he makes it. Um, but just the 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 way that kind of this kind of you know constantly quipping hero is is. Not entirely like, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Sylvester Stallone with their really stupid one-liners. It's kind of a more evolved everyman type, uh, similar to John McClane. But I think I, I think Will Smith, it was at least the best example of the, that type of hero. Yeah, and he, he's able to play it so well just because of how naturally, like, charming um charismatic he is he even if tommy lee jones wasn't in this movie i think he would still have the ability to carry it um obviously a lot of the fun dynamic would be lost but he himself it's just every time he's on scene he has this this way of drawing all of your attention to him and he's always like the funniest person there and the humor in in this case it's it's always very to me it feels very character driven like it's he he makes the kind of jokes at first and they set the tone for who his character is and all of his other lines following kind of follow suit and it, he's, he stays in the same kind of cocky, uh, very showman-like character the whole time, very um, not arrogant, although I guess sometimes maybe a little arrogant, <laughs> but um, very sarcastic and things like that. And he delivers the lines... So perfect. I think one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when Tommy Lee Jones asks him, why would a giant uh, green spewing bug land here in America? And he says, oh, that was on Final Jeopardy last night. What was it that Alex said? He's he's always just playing off this these huge, crazy events with like very believable, weirdly believable kind of sarcasm for his character. Uh, and I love the scene in which he, he first shows up um, after 
after Kay has told him about it <laughs> and every everything he's seeing. I think one of, my, one of my favorite scenes as well is whenever he first shows up after Kay has invited him um, to try out, I guess, and he's almost mocking all of these other military men with him. It's just almost, you know, zero respect for anything around him. And he's just clearly being a show-off person. Like, like he's still in high school trying to make the class laugh by shooting, I think, little Tiffany in the forehead. And just, he's Why did little a- Tiffany deserve to die? <laughs> Those books are way too advanced for her. It's he's in, his humor is incredibly self-indulgent. Like he's not going to take it seriously. He's going to do what's fun for him, and yet he's never unlikable. He's just he's just so much fun to watch. And then when you take a character like that and you, and you pair him with the naturally old grumpy Tommy Lee Jones, it's the, the lines between the two and the back and forth and the amount of fun that Jay has, kind of messing around with Kay and then the amount of fun that Kay has at the expense of Jay and I'm going to try to keep this from just being me quoting the whole movie (laughs) go ahead but but I love it whenever uh, Jay is giving this you know initial speech of like listen you uh you picked me out which means you understand and respect the skill set but I don't want any sports no tigers no suns uh we're going to be an equal playing field and he's like sure thing slick it's and then instantly (laughs) after um, Zed addresses him as like tiger and sport, like in the exact next scene. <laughs> There's no lines, but Will Smith just kind of looks back and forth. Or whenever uh, Kay introduces him as Agent Black, he just gives this side <laughs> nod. Or, or do- Doctor White. Yeah, Doctor White. He's there's there's multiple instances where Will Smith's not even like saying like it's giving dialogue, but just his expressions like mild annoyance to like amusement at these aliens. It's just this cast is so perfect where the writing could be absolutely terrible, though I, I don't think it is. I think it's actually pretty hilarious. But the cast itself, there was really no way this movie had a chance at being unentertaining. Yeah. Um, and uh, Rip, Rip Thorne as the, uh, as Zed is just this kind of, a very, very wonderful, uh, also some rather deadpan, but in a, in a kind of different way from than um, Tommy Lee Jones, and just the way he reads off kind of the most ridiculous lines. Yes, congratulations, you're everything we expect from years of government training. This <laughs> like a false sense of cheeriness is always like there are multiple scenes where he kind of carries that, where he's he's not even trying to hide the fact that his like smile is just this facade he's just kind of reacting almost ambivalently to these end of the world scenarios we have one is it i can't remember is it zed or is it k who says they have they have one week remaining but it's in galactic standard time i think it said oh it's it's an hour and the way the characters play it like they just feel so dialed into these characters where they're their delivery, their mannerisms, it's they're all acting as this person. It never feels like a performance. It's this perfect character. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I really like how the world that we're stepping into feels very formed. Like, like there is a history. They're constantly referencing these crazy events of the past and oh yeah the, the microwave that, or the, the, uh, the microwave and the microchip or whatever they're all alien technology they, they sell to fund themselves just little bits here and there <laughs> or when uh when i when k uh, first comes in and he's like oh yeah the, the, the where he talks about you know, aliens on every street corner he's like cab drivers not as many as you think <laughs> oh with the fact that you know, that, that teacher you had that you thought had to have been an alien actually was. And, um, to me, that, that first scene kind of gave me the same feeling that, like, the cantina did in A New Hope, where you just, you walk into this fully realized world and you're kind of experiencing it with this other character. Um, and it doesn't hurt that the creature design and effects here are pretty great. Um, as he's walking through and you see this plethora of different weird kind of aliens moving around and walking and you all, you have this really great blend of the practical and CGI. Um, and yeah, one of the things that I, I loved about the movie was the world building. It, 
it doesn't feel like the dial there's ever any like unnatural exposition because obviously there's going to be some with Jay being initiated but it feels like he is being informed of this world that's that's just kind of been this way um and and how they play off the fact that we've all just been living ignorantly of it um is really believable like within the context of the movie itself you know this uh, this flashing red light and we you know we've any one of us could have been flashed with this red light before we just never know it and it's it's a it's a really fun and unique kind of premise that i think the movie does a good job at sticking to and like milking it for what it's worth gosh what a gullible breed <laughs> <laughs> did you did you notice the the surveillance screen where they talk they were showing you a bunch of people who happened to be aliens um uh, I saw, I saw, I think uh, Spielberg was up there. Uh, George Lucas was up there. I think Newt Gingrich and uh, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Did you notice anyone else? Uh, you pretty much listed all the people that I noticed. And it was, it was funny. Like they're just taking these clips from Rocky, like the scenes that almost people kind of make fun of. Was Adrian? It's like well, now, <laughs> now we know why. It's so weird because it's just another alien living under the skin. Or like, or just in the end, really, you know, the 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 prime minister of whatever galaxy wants to get a ticket to the baseball game. Oh, call that player! Yeah, he's he's one of them. Oh yeah, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Poor disguise. Um, but <laughs> whenever he first sees the surveillance cam, that's another example of something that I love about this movie is that it it's never ever wasting any time. There's there's always something funny happening to me. Um, and they take even like introductions as a chance to like have another funny line as he introduces the two aliens like this is Arr! and Bub. <laughs> it's just there's and then even in the background as um the uh, prime minister of the Karelians I think I forget his name though I I know he is named <laughs> when he gets out of the taxi he's been talking to his cat the entire time telling him what he's doing and this line is the said, driver <laughs> yeah hold on, I have to pay this impolite cab driver. Like, it's in the background and you may not even hear it, but there's so many, there were even a couple lines as, as Will Smith um, is walking away from uh, K and Zed and he, he sees the the alien ships and he, you know, he's realizing that that's his goal. In the background, just listening to, to all of the different alien ships that have taken off, one of them is Manhattan as an island is just gone and says like, Oh, good riddance. It's just completely in the background, but it's, it's always comical. There's always something funny yeah, going on in the conversation or so even I, I noticed a couple of jokes this time that I hadn't even before, especially not as a kid, but th- this movie is always finding ways to be funny. Yeah. Um, and the, the other, I guess, primary ma- uh, member of the cast is uh, Linda Fiorentino as Laurel. I-, I kind of have mixed feelings about her. I-, 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 I think she has great screen presence and she works really well with Will Smith. But uh, the- the- this is also a problem I have with-, with kind of how Will Smith's character is written is neither of them react at all to the news that the world is full of aliens. <sighs> it's like it's like Whenever, no matter the, how crazy things are happening around, they're just kind of like, huh, okay. Which I love that attitude in J and Z and the MIB team. But when you know, our audience surrogates, the people who are n- completely new to this world, the people who should be reacting, are just shrugging off all the craziness. They, they just don't feel like people. They're not acting like humans act. And that's kind of one of my issues with just the trying to get into these characters in spite of you know, all the praise I had for you know Will Smith and, and, and just how fun he is. I have a hard time really caring about him because like it's, it's or, or her just because they don't act like people. <laughs> when, when, you know, a giant bug is attacking you when, you when you find out your entire world is fake, you don't just shrug. I don't know. Does that does that bother you at all? It didn't bother me. Just, I mean, even the people in this, <laughs> they the the way they react is a a bit different to me than like 
the way K or Zed reacts to it, where it's like they see this new world and they're instantly trying to almost integrate themselves into it and make themselves relevant. I, I love it after after um, K has shot Jeeb's head off and he threatens to come back. <laughs> and he just says, I'm, I'm going to be back about them Rolexes too. It's, I mean, it's not at all a realistic way. I, I think if you have your characters react too realistically, I'm just not sure how, f- how funny it would be. And the way they do it where it's like, they're clearly taken aback, but they're instantly trying to now ground themselves in this new reality. And now that they realize that this is what the world's like, it takes them a couple scenes and now they're treating it in a mundane kind of way. And I mean, it's definitely unrealistic, but I, there's there's too many jokes that I laugh at that are a result of their their reactions that I can't I can't fault the film for it. <laughs> Going back to that scene you mentioned, I love how they're both how you know. Will Smith uh, thinks they're just playing good, you know, good cop, bad cop, and so he, after uh, after Tommy Lee Jones pulls the gun, he's just kind of going along with it, you know, set, kind of you know setting it off. <laughs> he just blows his head off. And in that, that is a moment where he reacts realistically because the second the head splatters, his gun is out and he's on him, and uh, and then of course he sees the head grow back. Um, but another something else that I really like about that scene is it, it really you almost see the symmetry that both Jay and K have like their relationship with Jeeves where he could like Will Smith has busted him before for, you know, very believable kind of crimes. And then K comes in and like, we instantly get a history of him busting him for all these intergalactic kind of crimes. And they're both like threatening him with similar things, but on a completely different scale. And so to see, Will Smith kind of think he's holding his own because they're in similar situations and then by the end of it trying to pre- still pretend he's, his threats are relevant after all. It's, it's really funny to me. And then there is my, my, my favorite character in the film, Edgar uh, the Bug, <laughs> uh, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, who is just absolutely wonderful in everything, but completely unrecognizable here as an alien trapped in a human's body or <laughs> in a human's skin. And just, just first of all, the, the makeup they have for, um, for him that is just slowly deteriorating and rotting is, is brilliant. Like, it, it's completely seamless. I mean, I, I obviously it doesn't look real, but it, 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 you, it doesn't, it looks like a bug in a human skin, you know, and the way he carries himself, the the man, the mannerisms he gives this creature, is completely brilliant. Like every second of screen time, he's like striking these awkward poses and like trying to figure out how to move his arms to get them to do what he wants. It's just it's hysterical to watch him, the way he's just constantly getting frustrated at everything in the world around him. Uh, it's just a brilliant performance. Some of the funniest moments are when he's trying to behave believably. <laughs> like, a man came here earlier. A dead man. And that means what to me? He's, seeing him try to play off being a human is hilarious. Watching him try to move the way a human moves is so funny. And this is, I just love how every actor in here like fully understands their character and they're so dialed in and they're like real amping up all these funny quirks and seeing him get frustrated and just like flailing around these stiff limbs it's 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 really gross but it's also really funny like when he's trying to get in and out of his <laughs> truck or trying to get that case of diamonds open this thing is it's these little moments that the movie like takes time to just have fun with um and yeah i i have to as well just really talk about how great the makeup was on that it's weird how convincing that looks like it's it's just something does not belong in that but it's just it's clearly it's falling off the skin doesn't even look alive anymore it's it's like there's something foreign just wearing human skin that that doesn't work anymore um you kind of see his teeth coming out in weird ways and his skin slowly like progressively drooping further and further down his eyes and his left eye is almost entirely glazed over by the end of it. You know, he looks bad from the first moment, but 
you can actually see legitimate continuity in the decay of his body as the movie goes on. Um, and his movements, they almost, they kind of mimic it as well. At first, you know, they're completely stiff and horrible and they slowly get better and then they get worse and worse as the body actually deteriorates, even though he's, he's learning to use it. Uh, and it's, to me, it's so obvious that D'Onofrio is having such a blast with the character too, because there's not really a lot of roles that would allow you to move and speak like this, but he's, he's just completely defining this character. It is crazy. I, there's never a single moment in the entire film where I think, Oh, that's Vincent D'Onofrio. This is Edgar. <laughs> and he's, and for a character, this ridiculously over the top, that, that's a great accomplishment. I really would like to see some behind the scenes footage of him, especially, I guess, you know, switching on and off between that role yeah he he's definitely one of my one of my favorite movie villains if only because how entertaining he is and again growing up and i i quoted this guy my entire family quoted this guy if we were ever if i would ever help my mom make anything in the kitchen you would never just ask for sugar and be more more sugar is it became (laughs) just embedded in our conversation because uh, we all we all love Edgar. Yeah, and uh, coming down, I guess Barry Sonnenfeld's direction. I mean, I think he's a very strong kind of like Burton esque vibe to how he directs films. Like 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 even from the opening. Obviously, Danny Elfman did the score, so it sounds like a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> but like the way he just kind of follows the bug, and I, I don't know, just something about his direction, the way he feels very much like Burton, which I'm not a Burton fan, but I think feels like the, uh, some of Burton's, you know, better instincts. I think he, uh, he has a, obviously he has a very great eye for the humor. I do have, I don't think he's good at all, at least at this time period with shooting action sequences. I think they're pretty kind of lumbering, especially the final one. But I, I think he does have a very good handle on the tone uh, which is really what makes this film work, and, and you know the characters and the humor, <laughs> just the willingness to dive into the total wackiness of it all. Yeah, I do have to give him a whole lot of credit, just because to me that from the opening um, scene of following this dragonfly to the very end, he kind of creates this tone and he sticks to it from start to finish. And obviously, I love the movie, so I love the tone. Um, and I, I think in the like the character moments, the the comedic moments, pretty much. I, I agree with you. Outside of the action, I really, really like his direction. Um, I like how he keeps it on the characters. I think he does a really great job of highlighting the absurdity of it while still kind of almost shooting it like he's shooting a normal movie. So it's like sometimes the movie itself, like the technical aspects, feel like they're mimicking K, where it's just. We're just watching a normal movie, and sure, there's like giant squid arms flailing uh, Will Smith around in the background, but we're still treating it like just a like a buddy cop movie. Uh, and the fact it, it almost feels like whoever's behind the camera is just kind of treating it all the exact same way Tommy Lee Jones is treating it. Um, yeah, in, in the action scenes, it almost feels like he's he's not really changing his directing style. It's just. You know, we'll have a, a close-up here, and then we'll cut to another close-up here. It's, it, it, it's not dynamic at all. Um, but fortunately, I think there's really not a whole lot of action, so you don't really see those faults. Um, and when they do, they're still fun because you still have the characters reading off this hilarious dialogue. So even whenever his directing skills aren't, you know, amazing me through the screen, I'm still having fun with it. Yeah, I think he has a really good handle on the effects, just the mix of practical and CGI. Obviously, the CGI is 1997, so it's very noticeable, but it's not as nearly as bad as, say, like The Mummy, which for like two years later, it's still believable enough inside the environment and the way it interacts with everything else that it doesn't really take you out of the film. Yeah, the closest it ever comes is with when you actually see the cockroach, which I think still like... I mean, again, it, it wouldn't work in a movie released today, but when you think of CGI in the 90s, it's typically almost unwatchable, but 
I, I was never really taken out of the moment with it. Um, it there's a, there's a, a lot of personality, even, even when it's kind of very, it's still a uh, very dated. There's still a lot of personality in each creature, uh, the CGI creatures, which is, 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 I'm sure it was especially hard to do at that time. Yeah. You know, this is before even, a you know, Phantom Menace really started pushing CGI. Um, uh, but I do think what helps it with our favorite character. Oh yes, of course. Uh, that's what but, that's what this film needed. <laughs> that was the last thing that this film needed. <laughs> um, man, this film has so many great, like, fun alien characters. I I love the the shrimp looking aliens and how like. I, I have no idea what the point, like their point is there or what they do other than just like lounge around smoking cigarettes with each other. Um, but they're hilarious. <laughs> the way they seem to like pester people like um, Zed, who, who's <laughs> annoyed that, that they're kind of buying into the end of the world thing. And they're, they're just off. I think one of them is literally just carrying like a dolly full of Marlboro cigarettes one cool one cool thing about those and uh, uh se- several of the effects is like they had they would have a miniature uh like uh, not a miniature a um a scale model but whenever they would have a close up they would have this giant uh model so they could have you know the full articulation of the hands and mouth for the, for the dialogue it's pretty cool I was, like, watching the uh the behind the scenes how they did that they, they had to do the same thing for the uh the Archelian in, in the uh, in the head in the uh jeweler's head uh, cockpit thing like they would have the the, the the scale model and then for all the close-ups to be this big giant like almost human-sized thing uh so they could you know fit in all the mechanisms for the for the animatronics i figure that that's what they had to have done because watching it you know i was, I was thinking there's no way that this is cgi like not in 97 uh and so how they how they used practical when they needed to was a i think a real big benefit for the movie and i i think it's pretty impressive how they go back and forth between cgi and practical like at the in the opening scene um with that the first alien who gets blown up you know, with him being like this very practical kind of suit thing to just taking off in this full sprint i mean you can tell that there's an obvious transition to cgi but it still looks like the creature that came before and it moves in a way that you could completely buy that that creature we just saw would move. And, and so I think the, the CGI transitions while noticeable, they, they still work really well. Yeah. And uh, for a film with so few characters, I, I think they, they do do a decent job of making them all memorable. Like, like you said, like the jeweler's constant monologue or, um, or the, <laughs> Uh, Janapio's wife is just is just so weird and quirky in her own way, you know, like a suit, like an Egger suit. And that scene, like, it's an incredibly, really, when you think about it, it's a very, very dark scene because it's kind of playing out the the way a scene like that usually would, and where you would expect the spouse to break down in tears, she's almost breaking down in laughter. It's it's super, super dark, but it works so well with the tone of the movie that it, it still ends up being really, really funny. Oh, he ran off with a maid. You're better off without him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I definitely agree. It does feel like they're, they're really crafting a genuine character with real personality for even the smallest of, uh, of characters. And we didn't even get to, to Frank the talking pug who I think the, the idea of that is hilarious. And I challenge anyone to not laugh while watching Tommy Lee Jones, just violently <laughs> shake around this pub, questioning it like a police officer. It's so, and then seeing Will Smith try to play it off in like the worst ways possible as people pass. Oh, sorry. The dog owes him money. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess that brings me to my biggest issue with this film. As I said before, I don't, I don't love this movie, and as enjoyable as all these elements that I've named are, I, I have a huge problem with the film's script. 
like outside of you know the humor and the characters and the world building like plot wise i think this film is is incredibly flabby like i'm i'm kind of like sort of vaguely bored for a lot of this movie it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's it, it's really going anywhere for a lot of it, it just like kind of we're going from skit to skit some of them really funny, them some of them not so much. With that, and we'll occasionally cut back to the bug doing things, and it just it never it never feels until like the last ten minutes that the film really has any kind of purpose or direction. And then another big issue is I I feel as much as I love Will Smith and I don't. If it wasn't Will Smith, I think this character would have been just awful because i don't think there is a character like the guy literally decides to give up his life overnight on a park bench like there's there's no concept of what this guy was outside of outside of joining uh men in black it's like he just like we never see his home we never see if he has family it's just all of a sudden we meet him I know, yeah, I'll, I'll sign my entire life away for this thing that I just heard about. Like, it's nothing. And it just, he never really feels like a real person. I mean, it's it, it works because it's Will Smith. But as the film goes, I don't think we really get into any of these characters. I, I really don't care all that much. Um, I'm like, when it, I'm completely on board when it's funny. But w- when it's not... And it's sort of kind of vaguely lo- looking at plot that we really don't even understand until the last 20 minutes. I think it, it's kind of flabby and a little boring. Hmm. Yeah, I got to disagree with uh, with the script itself, especially this time. I, I was actually not incredibly impressed, but I thought it did a good job at like balancing everything that was going on between cutting between like Will Smith slowly growing more and more accustomed to all of these, these new, you know, revelations about these aliens and weapons and all of these other things. And I mean, it definitely feels like it's moving from like sketch to sketch almost. Um, But those, those little, those skits in between, they feel, they're still like, they still serve a purpose. Um, and I think the way that that moves with um, Edgar's story, it, it moves well to where it's almost like the cuts to the villains are what's driving the story forward. That's where we get the plot and we see his goals and what he's doing. And the movie times it to where, you know, Will Smith is, as he comes into his own more and more, it kind of coincides with this plot that we've been seeing with Edgar to where both come together and like, that that's where it feels like the movie has more direction and aim than ever. But I think it did a good job before that of, of using one plot thread to familiarize us by way of Will Smith with the world and everything that's going on and using the other plot thread to kind of set up the stakes and set up the goals of, of the antagonist. And whenever they meet, you know, that's, that's when we see what it ends up being about. And then rewatching it to me, it's, I think, again, it's not like this amazing script, but I think the way it cuts between the two and moves towards the end, um, it does so pretty well. And with Will Smith, I think I don't think he's what makes the character. I think he's what elevates the character. But I think he's written almost like, like the action hero of the 90s. And it, I guess it, this is a kind of like what I was saying earlier with I don't want the people in this to react too realistically because that's, I, I don't know how you can play it up and be funny with, with any sane person upon hearing this probably isn't going to take it, but we need him to. And so we'll have him sit on a park overnight and come to terms with it because it's almost a, like a heightened or hyper, I, I don't know, it just, it's a it's an exaggerated version of people who would be more oh, yeah. willing to do this. Obviously, but yeah. it's just like 
we he, there's no traits there's there's nothing outside of this guy the kind of the wisecracking guy there that we that we see in this at least in this film which is kind of why I love Men in Black Three so much I think it 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 really doubles down on the characters um that's another discussion uh but actually one, one interesting comparison I thought of for, for like the screenplay and my problems with it is uh Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Which is, I think, it's a very similar thing where it, 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 it's here to introduce us to this brand new world. And it's kind of like it's totally enamored in this world. And it spends almost the entire runtime just kind of being charming and showing us different aspects of how crazy this, how, look how cool magic, look, look, look at this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the last half hour, oh, wait, we have to have a plot. And then it kind of just kind of scrambles to shove all, you know, all the, the plot and exposition and, you know, conflict and story into the last half hour. And then, oh, we're done. It feels very similar to what happened here to where, you know, we have the world and we just kind of play around in the world till right, till right near the end. And that, that's when they decide, you know, we got, oh, we got to, we have to, you know, films have to have conflict. So let's have conflict. And I don't know, maybe that, maybe that works for you. And I, I'm glad that it does. But for me, it just, it makes it just feel kind of, disjointed and a little boring uh, for the run throughout the runtime. Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I, I think it's just a case of, for me, even if the, if the plot isn't really moving forward um, in a, you know, an, an apparent and discernible way, so long as I'm entertaining in this world that it's being introduced, I'm willing to go along with the plot when it finally does show up like fully um, and maybe it is just because I grew up on the movie, but I'm I'm never really bored with it just because of how well I think it handles world building. Um, like I said earlier, every scene feels like it serves a purpose, whether it's supposed to be funny um, or whether it's supposed to kind of peel back one more layer of, of what this version of reality is like. It's, it's always kind of doing something. I, I think the reason I'm never bored is because I don't... I don't think the movie ever spends too long doing one thing, or if it is doing something that's already been done, it's it's doing it in a different way or a more entertaining way. Or there's there's always something. Every scene feels like it has like a lot of personality, so that it never feels bogged down, even when the plot isn't like moving at all. But I guess on, on paper, you know, with, without the without the acting and without all of the effects, you know, it's script wise, it isn't an incredibly strong one. It kind of lives. It was written almost feel at least thinking about it in retrospect, it feels like it was written with the the writer fully knowing that this wasn't going to work if it couldn't look cool. And, and it didn't have, you know, a great cast. Yeah. I I know we mentioned before, but I kind of want to swing back to, uh, to the character of Laurel. I don't even know if I could describe her as the female lead because I think she only has like four scenes in the film. I was I was really surprised by how little she was in it this time, but I I, I do think she does a great job making this kind of quirky character. You know, oh I hate the living, <laughs> and I, I I think she also acts a little weird, but I think it kind of makes sense to <laughs> the line from a uh, Tommy Lee Jones when you know he was that's gonna give her you know leukemia or something. He's like, oh it's, it's never heard her before, <laughs> you know, implying that. Who knows how many times before every time an alien comes to the morgue, she's had to have been neuralized and she probably has all this brain damage or something. Yeah, it is. Maybe it is just because of how few legitimate characters are in it. But I guess she finds a way, at least I'm not sure if she's iconic in, you know, the public consciousness. But for me, because this movie was such a, you know, a big part of growing up, she's a role that to me is is iconic in my mind. And I think she, you know, with acting opposite of Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, she does a great job at finding a way to make her character very unique and distinct. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like the, the typical, like almost obligatory female role that um, was actually in a lot of nineties movies. She felt very much like, like a character with very real and discernible personality. Um, and so she made her short-lived screen time memorable to me. Yeah, I, I kind of would have liked to have uh, you know seen a movie with uh, her and Will Smith together. 
But it didn't happen. But we got Men in Black 2 instead. <laughs> and, and, and as much as I, you know, don't really care for this film's uh, just I, I, you know, actual character depth and development. I do think they the one character they really do well by is um, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, you know, just having the little hints throughout. You know, in the beginning where he's like, "Oh, you giving that alien flowers," <laughs> and then you know, he you see him watching this woman, and it's it's so little, but the character of uh, Jay, this is Jay, right? Okay. Jay. whichever (laughs) the character is so completely closed off that even like these little hints at a human soul feel like way bigger than they actually are so you know finally by the end when he um when he goes to retire and then you see in the uh the tabloids the guy wakes up after uh you know the 50-year coma It's, it's really heartwarming yeah and there there are a lot of moments to me, where he does feel, again, I said this earlier when we first talked about him, but moments that really humanize him. Um, I think this is the first time I've ever heard the line and like actually realized what he was saying. But after, um, I think Jay is Will Smith, because now I'm second, because I think it's James Edwards is Will Smith's character, and so it's just Jay. Okay. Um, but he... You know, when he's saying, oh, you know what they say, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. And Jay just, yeah, just says, try it and gets up and walks away. Uh, all, all we get from him, you know, is is this idea that, you know, this short scene of him watching this woman from afar and then that line. But between that and uh, the initial scene with him retiring his partner and then the ending scene where he's now in his partner's shoes where he's for the first time in years, like most likely decades, he's actually appreciating the stars and these things that he's treated in such a mundane way for so long. Uh, he really feels like a, a believable person who has a very real history, even though we don't see large portions of that history, the way it's referenced and the way he reacts, it feels like there's been a this huge long life of all of these different things that have happened in his past. Um, and he reacts like a real person. And so when we do get that, that nice last moment, I, I do feel, you know, it's seeing this person who does very little smiling in the movie. It's, it's great to see that tabloid with his, you know, big smile on his face with the woman he loved. Uh, I think I'm about, I'm about to wrap up. I really don't, Unfortunately, I don't have all that much to say about this movie. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention before we move into our close? Uh, I think I'm ready. All right. Um, so upon its uh, initial reception, uh, upon its initial release in 1997, it grossed uh, $586 million on its $90 million budget, making it the third highest grossing film of 1997 after Titanic, which made a little bit of money, and Jurassic Park The Lost World. And it won Best Makeup, which... I would be mad if it didn't and was nominated for best original score and art direction. I don't remember. Is the score good? I I really don't remember anything from the score. I actually love the score. um, Especially like in the, to me it's most emphasized in the first scene with the dragonfly, but there's a lot of, it's used really well in like a lot of the transitions from like the following Edgar to following the agents. Um, and then seeing score by Danny Elfman after how, I guess, <laughs> jaded I've become over Justice League. Like, oh, dang it. There's a reason he's still good and I still like him. It was more like, oh, Danny Elfman, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think this, as I said before, this is what gave us the Will Smith superstar that he has been and still kind of is. You know, his star is dimmed a bit, but he you know, when he's in the right role, he still is absolutely magnetic. And I'm so glad that films like this in Independence Day really gave him the chance to shine. Definitely. And you can still see, like you said, you can still see this character in a lot of his roles today. Even, even in movies that aren't particularly of the highest quality, like Suicide Squad, he's, he's still awesome in it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, this, uh, this film spawned, uh, two sequels, which we will review and an animated TV show, which I, did not know about. Have you seen this? I saw 
I think a couple episodes when I was a kid and I got super excited at like the idea of a of a Men in Black cartoon series. And so I, I think I woke up extra early one morning because I knew it was supposed to come on. And like the second they started talking and it wasn't Will Smith mm-hmm. or Tommy Lee Jones, I was like, ah, nah. Right <laughs> I didn't really watch beyond that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there is still talk of uh, further sequels. For a while, there was this idea of a uh, 21 Jump Street Men in Black crossover, which I think would have been brilliant to have you know, Will Smith come and recruit them to fight aliens, which I'm kind of bummed that that doesn't seem to be going uh, any further. Yeah, I think the working title is MIB23, which to me is a pretty great title um, yeah. based on both series. And yeah, I mean, Will Smith kind of bringing in Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum, like as obviously as, as different as the premise of both of those series are, just the, the tone of the Jump Street movies, I feel like there would have been like almost a natural. It, it, there'd, it, there'd be a natural coming together, I think. Yeah, it'd be the perfect continuation. Especially based off of the ending credits of uh, 22 Jump Street. This kind oh, yeah. of makes sense, and it, it goes along with their idea of like jumping the shark. Yeah, uh, but there, there is still talk of a uh, sequel sometime in the future um i don't know if it'll ever actually happen i think the last the men in black 3 was like way back in 2011 so we will see but uh, of course obviously the most important uh legacy of this film is following its release ray-ban uh tripled their sales of the predator 2 sunglasses worn by the uh, men in black agents which makes sense because like i said man, i had those water guns i had the sunglasses Oh man, I I spent a lot of time running around the backyard with sunglasses on, squirting water at insects. Yeah, and so as far as you know, public perception today, I think it's pretty safe to say that this is considered, I mean, I guess as classic as a film from the '90s can be. Um, I think, along with films like Independence Day, uh, it really set the tone. I think for blockbuster movies for quite a while um and i think i think there's still like you know looking at the kind of films they had in the 80s i think even today we're still kind of getting the very similar kind of tone and uh you know mindset behind how uh blockbuster films are produced but uh i think overall this film is very well loved and you know it, it i guess in, in, in most lists of great films of the 90s would probably include this one even you know i don't I, I really don't care for it all that much but i think there's no denying that it's had a very significant impact on film yeah and equally as important it has a very strong legacy in the hamrick household <laughs> uh it is still quoted to this day even all right uh so next week we will be back to talk about men in black 2 yay Honestly, actually, I think for me, this might even be a more interesting discussion because at least we could get dive deep and try to analyze what went wrong. Uh, I find it much easier to talk about a film that I hate than one that I'm kind of in the middle on. Yeah, across this and underrated, I, I won't fair warning to anyone who may enjoy Men in Black 2. This is, this is probably the movie that we've talked about that I dislike the most, so... <laughs> I have that to look forward to. I have not seen it uh, since the first I, I, first time I saw it. I was young, so I didn't hate it. But thinking back on it, I think I probably, <laughs> I probably will this next time. I, I loathe it entirely. Awesome. So you can look forward to that next week. All right. So if you want to follow us, uh, you can like us on Facebook. We are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter as franchised pod and if you want to find our older episodes you can go to franchisefatiguepodcast.com and again uh, we would really appreciate it if you could go and leave us a rating and review on iTunes and James uh, where can people follow you if they want to outside of the podcast primarily on Letterboxd I am there as J.L. Hamry it's J-L-H-A-M-R-I um, and one of my New Year's resolutions is actually to write a full review for every new movie I see. So if you want to keep up with uh, 
with my opinions on the new releases as they come out, that's how uh, that's how you can find them. I thought about doing that, then said, nah, <laughs> too much. <laughs> yeah, so I am also on Letterboxd as Gabriel Green. And uh, you, uh, if you want to shoot me a friend request on Facebook, just uh, make sure you uh, shoot a message along saying that you're a fan of the podcast. I don't normally friend total strangers, but uh, if you do want to interact with me, just uh, say you're listening to the podcast and I will uh, I will be your friend. So I think that is about it for today. So until next week, when we get to talk about Men in Black 2, we will see you later. I'm going to go flash Gabe with the flashy thing and tell him to love the movie more. Because he should. All right.